are listening to Ethnomusicology Today, a podcast produced by the Society for Ethnomusicology devoted to the exploration of contemporary issues in global music studies. I'm Trevor Harvey. On October 27th, the Society for Ethnomusicology will open its 2021 virtual annual meeting with a pre-conference symposium celebrating historically black colleges and universities' musical legacy, an exploration of relationships between HBCUs and the Society for Ethnomusicology. In this episode, we talk with pre-conference co-chairs Lanika Batiste and Fredera Hadley about musical life at HBCUs, the work of members of the Gertrude Robertson Network, and supporting sustained conversations among HBCUs and the Society for Ethnomusicology. Welcome both Fredera and Lenika, um, and uh, thank you for taking this time to talk with us. Maybe we'll start with just some introductions. Fredera, would you like to start? Sure. I'm happy to be here. My name is Fredera Hadley. I am on the Ethnomusicology faculty at the Juilliard School in New York City. And I am an alumna of two historically Black colleges, Florida A&M University and Clark Atlanta University. I am Lanika Wilkinson-Batiste. I am at University of Tennessee. I am a music education professor here, and I am an alumna of Dillard University in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thank you again for um, taking this time. You are both alumni of two historically Black uh, colleges or universities, and that's the focus of this pre-conference symposium coming up um, this year at the 2021 Society for Ethnomusicology Annual Meeting. And in the abstract for the pre-conference symposium, you mentioned that HBCUs consistently produce accomplished musicians and scholars, but have perhaps yet to be fully recognized for their contributions to the field of ethnomusicology. Can you talk a little bit about um, from your personal experiences and journey, but also um, from your broader experiences regarding the contributions that HBCUs have made uh, and can continue to offer uh, the field of ethnomusicology and the work that ethnomusicologists undertake. As a, a student at, uh, at Dillard University, um, I had a myriad of wonderful experiences there musically And I noticed that outside of that, there was a different culture, a different way of of moving, different type of musicality that was valued. There were connections, but it had its own distinct feel. And I found that from conversations and interactions with other HBCUs, that there were similarities across those experiences we had at HBCUs. However, when we are discussing that outside of that context, those experiences, that culture has been left out of the conversation to a large degree. Even now, as we are looking into pursuing more work on HBCUs and the music there, the literature is scant in comparison to in predominantly white institutions. And in interactions with students at HBCUs, I personally found that there were not many that were aware of the field of ethnomusicology, but their experiences would translate well into a deeper study of uh, the music and the musical cultures of which they are part, um, which they have interest in. And there are so many 
graduates of HBCUs that have contributed a lot musically and their work has been examined by ethnomusicologists, but their voices within ethnomusicology have not been heard to the extent that they could. I agree. And I didn't know what ethnomusicology was. Um, you know, I graduated from Florida and I didn't know. And then it was when I was at Clark Atlanta that one of my old Florida and professors told me about the field of ethnomusicology and told me about Portia Maltzby, who I would go on to work with in graduate school at Indiana. And that was my first connection to the field. But in thinking about the history, I would, I'm one of those people who takes um, a broad definition of ethnomusicologists. And I think that there is work that we can do in our, so SEM as a society is one type of institutional history. The history of the field is another type of history. Um, and I think they intersect, but they're not synonymous. And so when I think about ethnomusicology as a field, I think about the work of people like John Work III at Fisk University, who was with Elaine Locke on those studies in the Mississippi Delta and was largely written out of those, um, those initial accounts that were published with the Library of Congress and um, the Land Where Blues began, all of the materials that came out of that. And it wasn't until I was reading a book about the reclamation of those studies at, that happened at Fisk University and John Work III was an alumnus of Fisk and a professor at Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, a book called Lost Delta Found, which we read in graduate school with Portia Maltzby, that helped me to understand that Black scholars at HBCUs had been thinking about these things um, for a long time. I even put people like Zora Neale Hurston, who was a cultural anthropologist and very interested in music, and studied at Howard University in that conversation, as well as composer, uh, pianist, and uh, ethnomusicologist, I'm going to call her that, Camille Nickerson, who uh, did studies on Creole songs in, in New Orleans while she was on faculty at Howard University, and, was, and that research search was supported by Howard University. So I think part of what we need to do or should do and want to do is to um, uh, be more intentional in how we follow and include these threads in the history of our field. appreciate the point that you just made, Fredera, about the, the different histories that, that are coming together here. Um, and the Society of Ethnomusicology presents one particular sort of institutional space for ethnomusicological work, but a lot of the work of ethnomusicology and ethnomusicologists happen be, happens beyond uh, that particular institution. And it has been, um, as you pointed out, often overlooked or... Um, or simply ignored, written out of that, that history. So from that perspective, what can ethnomusicologists, particularly those working in conjunction with the Society for Ethnomusicology, that sort of see themselves as part of that institution and that institutional history, what can we do to uh, support the, the work of HBCUs 
um, both historically and going forward, and more specifically, the work of Black scholars uh, within that tradition? Well, my thought is uh, this pre-conference works toward that in establishing relationships uh, with HBCU faculty and students. Um, the pre-conference also looks at the um, the types of research that are being done currently on HBCUs and has HBCU graduates throughout. So first, having those voices being front and center and then coming together in a way that honors and continues to highlight those voices and not subsume them into the voices of the, the greater organization. And I would just add that um, one of the things we seek to do is to highlight the number of ethnomusicologists in the society already who are products and alumna, alumni of um, HBCUs to demonstrate that HBCUs have already contributed materially to the Society of Ethnomusicology. Um, Professor JJ is an alumna of FISC. Um, Professor Keyes is an alumna of Xavier. Um, you know, there are countless others who are um, graduates of these institutions and are productive members of SEM. And so um, part of it is to say that historically Black colleges are not only out there, but they are already a part of what is happening in society itself and to shine a light on that. And then everything else that Lanika added, we wanted, we don't really know yet the best ways for SEM to support and partner with HBCUs. And so we are so excited that our co-sponsor um, for this pre-conference is the Robert Woodruff Library at the Atlanta University Center in Atlanta. Um, and the Atlanta University Center is the home of Morehouse College, Spelman College, the Interdenominational Theological Center, Clark Atlanta University, and Morehouse School of Medicine. Um, we're really excited that they see value in this conversation and have been extraordinary partners and helping us to imagine how this can be most mutually beneficial um, to us and, and, and on both sides of the equation. What are the ways in which, you know, what we do is of interest to students and faculty at these institutions, as well as, you know, thinking about uh, ongoing efforts to make sure that the, the body of, the, of SEM and our fields is as representative of the peoples of the world as possible. Um, establishing a pipeline of uh, HBCU students into graduate programs in ethnomusicology and, and reminding members in SEM who, for whom that is a part of their job portfolio, that HBCUs are fertile grounds for conversations and um, recruitment for programs as well. Yeah, thank you. So another so an important piece of this pre-conference symposium coming together uh, is the Gertrude Robinson Network, um, which, if I understand correctly, this, this pre-conference symposium really started with conversations among uh, those that are part of, and it's supported by the Gertrude Robinson Network. Can you talk to us a little bit more about um, what is the Gertrude Robinson Network? And also, for those who may not be familiar with uh, her work, who is Gertrude Robinson? Gertrude Robinson was the first African-American member of the Society of Ethnomusicology. Um, she studied at UCLA and she did her research on Indonesian gamelan. And it, it was at the SEM meeting in Indianapolis. At that meeting, Portia Mosby, her initial 
interest in making sure that Black members of SEM had a place to gather. SEM, quite honestly, has had challenges in retention of Black members. And so one of the ways we know across organizations you can sort of deal with that is to give Black members of whatever organization a space to gather and form community. And so Mm -hmm. um, in SEM, we have sections which are mostly organized around people's academic field of interest. And so uh, Gertrude Robinson Network, GRN, was meant to be something else, an affinity group where it didn't necessarily matter what you um, studied. What was important is that you self-identify as a person of African descent. And it serves uh, really just as a source of mentorship, camaraderie, and as a person who's been going and around SEM since about 2006, I would say it has made a material difference in my experiences of attending SEM, but also in stabilizing the number of Black scholars and graduate students I see at SEM. And so it's been a benefit to both its members and to the society at large. The pre-conference itself came out of, we, we we're ethnomusicologists, we love asking and collecting data and all that kind of stuff. So what do people actually care about and what do people want to do? And one of the things was um, how do we, questions about recruitment, also questions about how do we connect with HBCU. So when we were in Washington, D.C. in 2016, um, Maya Cunningham, who is the current co-chair of the HBCU Outreach Committee, um, took it upon herself to really broker a relationship with Howard University since it was right there, her alma mater. And we actually had students from Howard University attend our GRN meeting. And so that sort of just set the stage, like this is something we can and should do and figure out ways to do that. And so the seed was really, um, this idea was really born out of the desire of the Gertrude Robinson Network and sort of testing out how to do it. So to to the larger society, it may kind of come out of nowhere, but it really is a part of ongoing thinking and efforts um, by members of GRN. Yes, I I wanted to kind of um, piggyback off of that. Um, One of the questions was why at this time? And as Fredera stated, this is something that we have been working on for a while. In 2018, we brought before the meeting at the time I was the outgoing co-chair of the Gertrude Robinson Network. And there had been a discussion about increasing the presence, uh, increasing connections with HBCUs. Um, Part of what started with Maya Cunningham bringing the students from Howard University, making that connection. And so at that meeting, we formed the HBCU Outreach Committee. And as the chair of, and so going out of the co-chair position uh, with the HBCU Outreach Committee, I sought to do exactly what Fredera said, see what those needs are. So we gathered data about ethnomusicology programs at HBCUs. And in one of our early discussions, Fredera brought up the idea, why don't we have a pre-conference symposium that connects directly to one of the Gertrude Robinson Network's uh, goals, which is to increase Black presence in the Society for Ethnomusicology. And so that's how this idea got rolling. And so it, it wasn't necessarily a reaction to events happening, although it did happen around the same time. This has been an ongoing uh, project that is just coming to fruition right about this time. 
that's a that's a really important point. What what are some of the the highlights of the program that you're planning? How how uh, what can someone who's planning on participating in the pre-conference symposium online? What can they look forward to uh, in in terms of having that sort of experience? Well, I think that moving to a virtual format has presented challenges, but it's also opened up opportunities for us. I think one of the challenges uh, for us, we really, really wanted to have that HBCU feel at the pre-conference. And there were certain experiences we had planned for in-person. However, we're working to translate those into a virtual experience. One of the, the opportunities is that the people who may have had issues with traveling to Atlanta, now they're able to participate and we can open up that opportunity to more HBCUs, which um, I'm sure we'll talk about in, in a minute. But you should expect us to throughout continue to have that um, feel of HBCUs. So for one, um, there is a Roland Carter arrangement of Lift Every Voice and Sing that you hear at just about every HBCU I've been associated with. And so we plan to still open with, with that, honoring that tradition. You should see Black ethnomusicologists throughout from various institutions. You'll see the work of Black ethnomusicologists with music at HBCUs. You'll see HBCU faculty talking about their programs and how what is the nature of their programs and how might a relationship with SEM be beneficial for them and for their students. You'll see us even going beyond the band and choir to look at music outside of that. How is music of HBCUs represented in film, in media? Um, most of us are familiar with Homecoming, with Beyonce, Stomp the Yard, um, School of Days with Spike Lee, and multiple... Um, drumline, multiple other um, incidences. And we also have a new musical that's coming out that's um, starting to be produced that is based on HBCU experiences. The writer of that will be in conversation with, with HBCU students and with SEM about that. So we have multiple experiences throughout the day highlighting the HBCU experience, honoring that, but also looking at the nature of programs and how building relationships with SEM might be beneficial. There are opportunities for recruiting students. There are opportunities for just establishing relationships. There are people who are wanting to learn more about ethnomusicology, all of that is throughout the day. And to make that more accessible to HBCU students, we have institutional registrations where a faculty member, a representative from the university can purchase one, um, one registration and all of their students at their institution can register for the conference free of charge. Spike Lee's School Days was his second film and it was okay. He, uh, Spike Lee is an alumnus of Morehouse, and it was okay. filmed on the campus of Morehouse in Clark, Atlanta. It came out in like 80, I think it's 88. Um, and the film takes place over a homecoming weekend. And, and about the film, Spike Lee says, when I went to write a movie about an HBCU campus on during homecoming weekend, it necessitated that the film is a musical. And it is, in fact, a musical. You're here ain't no longer the 
hand So you'll never fling it all back You are afraid to walk in the rain Oh, what a shame who's to blame Don't you ever worry about that Cause I don't mind being Don't try it Go with your old mixed up head I ain't ever gonna be afraid Ow! Well, you got an I think that just so succinctly gets to how central music is on HBCU campuses and not just one type of music, but music's plural on these campuses. And so if someone wants to prepare themselves for, you know, the pre-conference situation, watching School Days or Homecoming, Beyonce's Homecoming, which is also on Netflix, is great preparation for, for the conversations we're going to be having. That's a great lead into my next question for Dara, which is uh, what can attendees do to prepare for the symposium uh, in order to have an impactful experience? Yeah, I I said it in jest, but seriously, binge the whole run of A Different World, which is also on like HBO Max and and Amazon Prime. But why I highlighted uh, School Days and Homecoming in particular is because I think and there's other films like Drumline and Stumpy Art, lots of other HBCU related films and TV shows. But those two in particular do a really great job of, again, just showing the diversity of music that exists on HBCU campuses. And even with Beyonce, even it's, it's largely her catalog. She still gives you Lift Every Voice and Sing, her own arrangement of Lift Every Voice and Sing. She's still giving you a diversity of marching band traditions, and even by having string players on the risers, reminding us that HBCUs have long had orchestral programs as well. And and the way that she talks, her annotations throughout the film as well are really centering in that way. Um, I, I wrote a lot about Beyonce's homecoming, so you can Google that and read that. But um, back when it first came out. But, uh, but those two, if, if you want something to watch, those two things are really great introductions to the conversations we'll be having. We already touched on this fairly well, but what are some outcomes that you have in mind uh, for participants in this symposium? What, what do you hope that people who participate in the symposium, that they come out of this experience um, thinking about and maybe you know, implementing in their work, both personally and professionally? Um, I would say um, a deeper, uh, on the surface, a deeper appreciation of the richness of music at HBCUs, but also the um, the valuing of what is what the students at HBCUs um, have. What the, the there's so much. This experience is so layered at HBCUs, and I think that we have just started to touch the surface of that. We want students and faculty at HBCUs to, we want there to be a connections established between members of SEM 
and HBCUs. So we want to set the stage for those meaningful relationships and connections to develop. And we have time in the program set aside to develop those. We also have a time when um, the work of Gertrude Robinson Network scholars is, is out there. I think representation is important. And the first person I heard say the word ethnomusicology was someone I was in church with. And they left and gone to school and they came back and they were playing the flute and um, they were talking about ethnomusicology. And that was the first time I'd heard about it. I was in school. I hadn't heard about it in school. And I think if I had, and that was Cheryl Keys. We grew up in the same church and then she came back and she was um, at Indiana and she was talking about that experience. And I really wish there had been more opportunities to engage with ethnomusicology that I would have learned more about it before I went into graduate graduate school. And this is setting the stage for those opportunities to happen for students, as well as um, recruitment efforts for those who are wanting to attract more um, HBCU graduates into their programs. Yeah, from the beginning, we we thought about two audiences, HBCU students and faculty and SEM members, um, and how to make this most meaningful for both. And one of the things Anika and I talk often about is how, you know, we we don't want this. How many times people, HBCU students say, you know, like, oh, I wish I had heard of ethnomusicology. I wish I had known about ethnomusicology. And we did an audit, um, um, the HBCU committee and Lanika directed us through this. We did an audit of all of the music programs at HBCUs to see which had ethnomusicologists on faculty or had ethnomusicology courses. It was a very small amount. And, you know, that's not a source of a point of derision, because what we also know is that historically black colleges tend to be chronically and systematically underfunded, especially when you get outside of the, you know, the the ones that people always talk about, like Howard or Morehouse or or Spelman um, or Hampton. Um, And so but getting that data and information can help us to think about what types of collaborations and research and partnerships might be useful with programs nearby that do have ethnomusicology programs? Like just to begin to think creatively and innovatively about what this can look like, because we believe um, that this is to the ultimate benefit of the fields of ethnomusicology. And so that's those are the, the ideas that have been driving us and, you know, um, really helping us to think deeply um, at every point in this process about what is most impactful um, in those ways. And so we want people to come away at the end of the day, um, you know, society members who may not be familiar with them. We want them to be blown away, quite honestly, about what these schools have contributed and continue to contribute. And we want HBCU faculty to perhaps see new partners in SEM um, as a society and its members and students to see a a field that is welcoming and a productive way for them to continue their engagement with music. Um, And so those are the things that are really at the center of every decision we've made, every meeting we've had, every email we've sent about (laughs) the pre-conference. Thank you both. Um, I I really appreciate particularly I think how you set up this understanding that this is really part of a much longer conversation. Um, 
hopefully a beginning of new relationships and relationships that that extend well beyond uh, this symposium, this conference to help uh, open up you know new possibilities that, in, in the future. information about the 2021 SCM Pre-Conference Symposium, Celebrating HBCU's Musical Legacy, which will be held online on October 27th, please visit ethnomusicology.org. Thank you again to Lanika Batiste, Assistant Professor at the University of Tennessee and alumna of Dillard University, and Fredera Hadley, Ethnomusicology Faculty at the Juilliard School and alumna of Florida A&M University and Clark Atlanta University for discussing the upcoming pre-conference symposium. Ethnomusicology Today is produced with the help and support of many people. Thanks to our student research and production assistants, Cheyenne McGuire, Kitty Greiner, and Dean Weib, and advisory board members, Harry Berger, Portia Maltby, Les Gay, Martin Stokes, David Kaminsky, and Leon Garcia-Carona. Additional support and encouragement is provided by SEM First Vice President Alejandro Madrid and SEM Executive Director Stephen Stempfley. Special thanks to the Gertrude Robinson Network of the Society for Ethnomusicology and the Atlanta University Center Robert W. Woodruff Library in Atlanta, Georgia for co-sponsoring this event. Music in this episode featured the FAMU Marching 100 and the Fisk University Singers. This podcast is produced by the Society for Ethnomusicology with support from the University of Iowa College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the Iowa Center for Research by Undergraduates. (laughs) 